0: Great. Thanks, Pete. And thanks, O2, for leading us so well. Uh, it's been great to be able to just sit and sing for once this week, which I've been loving. Um, if you are somebody who's tuning in for the first time today, uh, my name is Mark. I'm the assistant pastor here at Trinity Church Manchester, and you are joining us uh, in the middle of our Ephesians series. So we've been seeing week by week as we've been going through this book together, how the gospel story, the story of the good news of Jesus, how the gospel story can be our story, how his story can be our story. And we've been unpacking each week how the gospel shapes, radically shapes our stories today. And last week, if you were with us, you'll remember we were looking at how a a part of knowing Jesus, uh, a part of being in Christ means that we experience true unity, unity with Jesus and unity with each other. And we're, we're kind of carrying on Um, with that theme today. You're going to see as we go through this passage how we are kind of following um, Paul's train of thought here. But here's the big point. I'm going to tell you the big point right at the beginning. So if you zone out, hopefully help you tune back in. The big point of today's passage is this. If you know Jesus, you know truth. If you know Jesus, you know truth. And truth must be continually shaping our stories and how we view each other as well. So let me pray and we'll jump straight in. Father, I ask that today, please, uh, would the words of my mouth be pleasing in your sight? God, I ask that um, as we unpack this passage together, that your word would go out, it would shape lives, it would change hearts. And Lord Jesus, that all glory would be given to you. And we pray this in your name. Amen. Here's the thing. I love a good story. No doubt you love a good story, too, as well. In one way or another, we are all story people, aren't we? That's why uh, most of what we consume on Netflix or Amazon Prime is all story based, whether it's a series or a movie. Mm -hmm. We love sitting on on our sofas and watching on the telly. Different people's stories unfolding and how those different stories interact with their stories. We love following different characters and seeing how things unfold. I mean, even if you watch something like uh, Great British Bake Off or X Factor, it's all story based. You know, this is the story of this contestant. And we we love uh, seeing people's stories, seeing behind the scenes there. Even if you're watching something like a bit more educational, educational. have you noticed? it's nearly always story in a story format so just think of um david attenborough and his life series it's all stories we are we're, we're normally learning about nature through following the story of an animal or the story of a raindrop and how it goes around the world you know here we see the mother emperor penguin as she begins her perilous journey across the antarctica you know we're story people it's is how even when we learn we, we love stories, we're story people. It's just the way that God has made us to be. That's one of the reasons why uh, we as Trinity Church, we we are always trying to think of, of ways how um, we can tell our stories and how Jesus has radically changed our stories. We're not the heroes of our stories. We learned a few weeks ago, didn't we? Jesus is the hero of our stories. Don't you just love it when somebody can stand up and testify to the amazing transformation that Jesus has made in their life. When somebody can stand up and say, I used to be like this, but now Jesus is working in me to make me more like that. Don't we just love it when we hear how Jesus is doing that? Now, sure, we're all ongoing projects of restoration, aren't we? But we can each testify to one degree or another of the transforming power of Jesus in our life. You know, the the legalist who's grown in grace, the addict who's growing in freedom, uh, the moaner or the groaner who's growing in joy. It's often in sharing our stories that we are reminded of what we used to be like. And yet now how Jesus is continuing To grow us. Well, here in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 17, in our opening verse, we see that Paul is warning the Ephesians to say, to not go back to their old story, to not return to the way they were living before they knew Jesus. He's calling us, and this is our first point, he's calling us to abandon the old life. Abandon the old life. This is verses 17 to 19. And really these opening verses here they describe what what I was like what you were like before you knew Jesus. And if you're someone who doesn't know Jesus we are so glad you're here today we love that you've tuned in. These 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 verses are describing what you're like right now and it's not a pretty picture. So let's give it a read. Verse 17 says so I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. Now, Gentiles, let's just unpack that a little little bit. Now, obviously, uh, Paul is writing this letter to Christians, uh, including and I think primarily Gentile Christians, as in non-Jewish Christians. And he's reminding these Gentiles, these Gentile Christians, that their new life and their new identity is to be found where? It's to be found in Jesus. It's no longer primarily found in being Greek. You see Ephesus, and I've got a cool picture on the screen coming up here. Uh, Ephesus was uh, the place where these Christians were living. And it was at one point considered one of the most important Greek cities in the ancient world. It was an impressive place. It was full of people, it was full of Greek culture, it was full of Greek idol worship. And it was an impressive place to be from. But Paul is saying to these guys, that's not who you are anymore. The Gentiles all around you in this place, the culture around you, they don't know Jesus. So don't live like the Gentiles. They don't know God. They don't have God's spirit. They haven't yet been convicted by their sin. They haven't yet put faith in Jesus In fact, he says, what's he saying? Verse 17. They are futile in their thinking, the futility of their thinking. Before we were Christians, the Bible describes our thinking as being futile. Now, that does not mean that the person who is thinking in a futile way is somehow stupid or pointless. The Bible is really clear. Every life. No matter how young, how old, where you're from, no matter how simple, every life is fearfully and wonderfully made. That all people of all ages, of all nations are all made in the image of God. That every human life is made with a great, great purpose, ultimately to know God. So futile does not mean that somehow the thinker is somehow pointless. That's not what the Bible is saying. But to have futile thoughts is to think of life and to think of the world around you as though God doesn't exist. It's thinking me-centered thoughts instead of God-centered thoughts. It's thinking about how much can I get out of life and the world today instead of looking at everything through an eternal perspective. It's it's thinking without God at the centre. It's futile thinking. And that's what Paul means here in verse 18, where he says that non-believers are darkened in their understanding. It's not a pretty picture, is it? He's saying their minds are dark. Now, uh, when you're a parent to small children, one of the skills you slowly begin to grow in is being able to do things in the dark you know when your child is crying in the middle of the night the last thing you want to do <laughs> walk in and put the light on and be like are you okay what's going on because all that does is wake them up everything is about trying to keep the child as sleepy as possible it's like going near a time bomb so everything's done in the dark so for me over the last few years I feel like I have begun mastering the skill of putting dummies in in the dark uh, at wiping snotty noses in the dark, even administering cowpaw in the dark. I know, I can do that in the dark now. I mean, obviously, there's the, the big league, which is changing nappies in the dark. I'm not yet there. My my, my wife is there. I'm, I'm not there yet. Uh, here's the thing. Even the smallest little bit of light in those situations, when you're trying to do anything in the dark, even the smallest little bit of light makes all the difference, doesn't it? So for me... Uh, we've got those little glow-in-the-dark stars in the girls' room. You guys all know exactly what I'm talking about because we all had them when we were kids. And just those little bits glowing, they make all the difference in a pitch-dark room. But Paul is telling us that before you were a Christian, your mind was dark, pitch-dark. That there wasn't even a a spark, there wasn't even a, a plastic glowing star of true light. You were unable to see the truth about God, the truth about the world, the truth about who you are. The Bible says that before we knew Jesus, your understanding of life and of the world was completely lost because you did not know the light and the life and the love of Christ. Should that not fill us with compassion? for people who we know who don't yet know Jesus our friends our family members our neighbors people who are made in the image of God made in the image of a God that they don't even believe in people who are made for a purpose which is literally infinitely better than the one they're living for right now should it not make us Slow to anger when those people say or do something which really frustrates us or hurts us because they have a radically lost view of the world. For example, when your, your non-Christian family member says something hurtful to you, says hurtful words to you because yet again you're putting church before them again. Or maybe when your, your non-Christian neighbour says or does something really inconsiderate and un like You know, for us as Christians to lash out and get angry in those situations would be like getting angry at a blind man for walking slow. And Paul is saying to the Christians then, and he's saying it to Christians now, look, that's who you used to be. That's how you used to think. You were blind you were lost, but now, wonderfully, you know the truth. So don't go back to thinking that way. And Paul helps us see that the biggest problem that we had before we knew Jesus wasn't ultimately a, a mind issue or a, a head issue, but it was a heart issue. Look at verse, the end of verse 18 with me there. Paul says that we had hardened hearts, our hardened hearts were the the origins of the darkness of our minds. Uh, now, here, the word harness can literally mean callous. So we get calluses on our bodies, don't we? I've got calluses on the end of my fingers from playing guitar for so long. Maybe you've got calluses on your feet from wearing shoes that weren't the right size. What a lovely image. Uh, we know what it is. You have some rub away and damage the skin. It makes the skin hard, doesn't it? Paul is saying that was the condition of our hearts. We were so lost in sin and so lost in sinning that our hearts grew ever increasingly hard against God. Verse 19 says we had lost all sensitivity and so we gave ourselves over to sensuality, impurity and greed. We had a heart issue. And here's the thing with heart issues. Heart issues are life and death issues. Because of the hardness of our hearts and the darkness of our minds, we were, verse 18, separated. Separated from one another, but ultimately separated from the life of God. Our ultimate, ultimate problem wasn't that we were thinking wrong thoughts, that we were doing wrong things... It was that we were separate, not joined to, running away from the God who made us and the God who loves us. And Paul is saying that is your old story, Ephesians. That is your old life. Abandon it. Leave it. Don't look over your shoulder. Don't go back to it. Don't even touch it. Remember who you are now. This is our second point. He's saying put on The new life. Verses 20 to 24. Put on the new life. So verse 20 says. That however is not the way of life. You learnt when you heard about Christ. And were taught in him. In accordance with. The truth. The truth that is in Jesus. When we heard and received. The truth of Jesus. Our dark minds. Lit up. And our hardened hearts were made soft. Praise God. If you're a Christian, that is what's happened in your life. You know, speaking in John 8, Jesus himself says that if you know him, you know the truth and the truth will set you free. Christian brother or sister, you have been set free from a life of spiritual blindness and hard heartedness. I think some of us just need to hear even just this simple phrase today the gospel is true the gospel is true when Jesus died he truly died the the death that that put to death the powers of sin in your life when Jesus went to the grave it was though he he pulled with him into the grave he killed those powers so that they no longer have authority over your life anymore and as jesus rose again as he walked out of that tomb it's like he brought you out of the tomb with him he truly gave you new life john 8:36 says if the son sets you free you are free indeed so paul is reminding these ephesians christians and and us today that we have new, true, resurrected life. Look at verses 22 to 24. It says, You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is corrupted by deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your mind and to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. What's this telling us? It's telling you, if you're a Christian, if you know Jesus, you have a new nature. We are no longer defined by ourselves and by what we do. Ultimately, we are characterized by a holy righteousness that springs from and mirrors the truth and glory of Jesus and the gospel. The moment, the moment you became a Christian, the moment you received the gospel call and by faith, were united to Christ, receiving his spirit and being made regenerate. The moment all of that happened, you were made new. God made you new. You received a new life, a new story, a new identity. Whether that happened 50 years ago or whether that happened since the beginning of this service, praise God if it has, the same truth remains. You have a new life with Christ. And we know that there is nothing, nothing, nothing that can separate the believer from Christ. Go check out Romans 8 after this if you want. Not even death can separate us from Jesus. You know, to to be a Christian is to belong truly, fully, wholly, eternally and forever to Jesus. He will Never let you go, so if all that is true, and it is if we have experienced new life in Jesus once and for all, then why is Paul telling these Ephesian Christians to put on the new self if they've already been made new, why is he telling them to put something on If it's already happened, why is he telling them again? I think the the simple answer. <laughs> it's quite easy really uh it's because they keep forgetting they keep forgetting who they are these christians in ephesus are surrounded by an unbelieving culture a culture which is actively against the gospel a culture which is chasing after idols for for meaning and purpose everywhere else a culture which is drowning in sexual impurity and temptation a culture which is full of divisions. Does that sound a bit familiar? Of course it does. That's where we are today. The reason that the Bible tells us to to put on the new self, to to preach the gospel to ourselves, to to read our Bibles every day, is because if we don't, we're in danger of returning to living like something we're not anymore. We're in danger of returning to those paths that are so well worn in our lives, those paths which we don't want to go back to, we need to fight against it. We can easily begin thinking and living like our old selves. Verse 22, our old selves which are corrupted by deceitful desires. Those desires which always promise joy, always promise satisfaction, but they never, ever, ever live up to those promises So wrong desires of money, which just leads to greed, wrong desires of sex, which just lead to shame. The world around you is bombarding you to give in to those deceitful desires. So how do you combat such a deceit? Well, it's with the truth, isn't it? It's with truth. Brother or sister in Christ, you know the truth. You know Jesus And not only has Jesus brought us into union with himself, he's also wonderfully brought us into union with his people, the church, with each other. God has given us one another. Isn't that an amazing biblical truth? He's given us one another to be reminders of the new life that we all now share in Christ. I think that's one reason why... This year has been such a hard year for so many of us. Because while we are still ultimately, eternally, always will be spiritually united in Christ, nothing can change that. Still, we've been desperately missing each other this year, haven't we? It's been eight months now since we've been in a church together. We miss being together. We miss encouraging each other. We miss singing over each other. We miss just hanging out. And that's why it's so important that we... We make every effort we can to, to tune in on a Sunday, to receive God's word, even though it's on a Zoom, Zoom call, to join in and uh, contribute a small group, to come along ready and, and prepared to, to not only receive, but to give as well. That's why it's important that we attend our prayer meetings. You know, these are all means of grace that God has given to us to encourage one another as we gather around his word, as we gather together to encourage one another and to combat the deceit and the lies that are all around us, which are constantly trying to pull us to live the old life again. In Jesus, we have each been given new life. And so now we need to put on and we need to wear that new life. And this is our third and final point. And it's simply this, get dressed every day. So it's 20 versus 25 to 32. Get dressed every day. I think this might be one of the my best headings I've come up with so far. If you Don't remember anything else today. Remember that. Get dressed every day. Here's the thing. Kids are kind of gross, aren't they? You don't need to be a parent to know that. Kids are a little bit gross. Uh, I used to be really involved with helping lead on a load of different summer camps each year. And uh, one of the ongoing challenges when you're a leader on a camp, uh, especially you know, if you're not a parent, is... Just getting these kids who are not your own to wash, brush their teeth and change their clothes. That's the big challenge every year. One time I was on a camp and one of the leaders, uh, not me, another leader, he clearly forgot to encourage his kids to do this. And one of the, the boys that he was responsible for wore the same set of clothes the entire camp. So when his parents came to pick him up, They literally opened his suitcase. All his clothes were still folded up with old notes from his parents. He hadn't even opened his suitcase. I never did that. Obviously, the thing to do is to get the kids to change at least on the day when their parents come to pick them up. So it looks like they've at least changed once. The point is this. The Christian life is one of getting dressed every day. In the same way that at the end of of a day, we take off what is old and the next day we put on what is new. The Christian life is a daily act of taking off the old and putting on the new. Because while the old self, the old nature, the old you, while that has received uh, death's blow at the cross of Calvary, we know that they are not yet fully dead. They are still clinging on. They still rear their head at various times throughout the week, don't they? Killing the old self is a daily fight. We It's a fight we must take on. And it's a fight that actually we're all in together. Look here at verse 25. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbour, for we are all members of one body. Paul is again here, he's highlighting that we are no longer separated like we were back in verse 18. We're no longer separated from Christ or one another instead we are we are now people who belong together in unity and you see what Paul uh, you see what Paul says is one of the first things to change when we when we put on the new life he says it right there verse 25 that we speak truthfully to one another as people who now belong together we should not rob one another of truth by speaking lies to each other. A mark of being a Christian is that we are honest with each other. You know, one of the primary ways that I find success in killing the old milk outside of, of prayer and sitting under the word and studying the word, one of the primary ways that I find uh, most effective in killing the old milk is through honest authentic accountable relationships you know those relationships where I know the person loves me enough to ask me really hard questions and I have to answer those questions truthfully that's why I'm really thankful for Pete and I'm really thankful for Caleb I have that kind of relationship with those guys the question to you is do you have those kind of relationships because if you're a member of Trinity Church there's no reason that you shouldn't God has given us one another to help get dressed every day. And Paul goes on to to summarize in practical ways uh, how we can do that, how we can get dressed every day. So verse 28, Paul says, instead of living a deceitful life of stealing, he says, do something useful, do something useful with your hands. Now, this truth doesn't only apply to people who, you know, if you have a past of, uh, of uh, shoplifting or burglary, It's much broader than that. Are you right now, Christian, are you stealing someone's reputation by speaking ill of them? Or are you, in a sense, stealing sexual gratification from someone who isn't your husband or your wife by the way that you're looking at them? Or are you, in another sense, stealing from someone... uh, growing as a Christian because you're not speaking out and lovingly challenging them on something. Paul says, get dressed and be useful. Get dressed and be useful. And here in verse 29, Paul gives us practical advice as to how we can help each other get dressed every day, how we can help each other put on the new self every day. He says in verse 29, instead of unwholesome talk, we should use our words to to build one another up. Not in like a, a pseudo superficial sense where we all just get along and everything's fine. But actually in a true biblical sense where we, we lovingly encourage one another, where we, we laugh where, where there's laughter, we mourn where there's mourning, where we lovingly challenge each other. We help each other get dressed every day. And as you do that, We find here that the lists of sins that are mentioned in verse 31, which are all indicative of the old you. They continue to to grow weaker and weaker and weaker as we get dressed every day. And let me just wrap things up and begin to close with this. When we have a list of do's and don'ts in the Bible, a bit like this passage today. It's really easy to go away and think, well, I can do these things and I won't do these things and actually it's really easy to miss the whole point to go away with totally the wrong motive you know Trinity Church as we as we grow together as we grow together as God's people as we seek to live out the truth of the gospel amongst us and as those verse 32 who have received the overwhelming love and mercy and grace of the of Christ's forgiveness What's our ultimate aim? It's going to come up on the screen. Our ultimate aim is to please God. That has to be our ultimate aim as we are seeking to to take off the old, to kill the old self and to put on the new. It isn't a DIY how to make yourself better manual. That's not what this is. Ultimately, our aim is to live lives which please God. Look at verse 30 with me. He says, do not grieve, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you're sealed for the day of redemption. When we live, when we live out our old lives, when we go back to those paths, those ways that we were like before we knew Jesus. We're not only resisting the Holy Spirit, the Bible says we grieve him. When we go back to to ways of living that are not Christ-like, it grieves God. The Spirit, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of life who is making us more like Jesus every day, we grieve Him when we actively ignore Him and go our own way. But what a thought it is that sinners, sinners like me, sinners like you, as we abandon the old life, as we daily put on the new life and seek to kill the old life, what a thought it is that the spirit smiles upon us. That we can actually please God in the way that we live. That has to be our aim. That has to be our motive. So let me just close with this. Next time you're getting dressed, as you're putting on your new clothes for the day, preach the gospel to yourself remind yourself of who you are in jesus the old is going away the old you though that they might rear their head at times you have been given power to kill the old self to put on the new and to be able to truly really please god what a thought let's pray Father, thank you for your grace. Thank you for your mercy. Lord Jesus, thank you that you came down to rescue sinners like us, to give us new life so that we could say no to sin and yes to living for you. Lord Jesus, we ask that this week, please, would you help us? Help us to truly believe this message and help us to actively do something about it. As we put on the new self every day, Lord Jesus, would You make us more and more like You? Spirit of God, would You sanctify us, change us to be more like the Son? And Father, we thank You that You are a patient God. Thank You for for all that You have done for us, all that You have forgiven. And Lord, we pray that this week would be a week where our eyes are firmly fixed on You. We pray this in Your name, Amen.